tonight. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Uh, Father, I thank you for these testimonies. And Father, we continue to pray uh, for those that, that, that uh, have heard your word, Lord God. That, Father, out in the, in the streets, Lord God, uh, at restaurants, uh, Father, out in the, the, the housing projects, uh, Father, uh, uh, the, the lady in hospice this week. We, we thank you, Lord God, that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes what you sent it to do. And you said you sent your word to heal them, to save them, Lord God. Your son came, but Lord God, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so, Father, we thank you for the, the word that's a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And we're just asking, Lord God, to continue, Lord God, to convict of sin and righteousness and of judgment, Lord God. Uh, just bring people to you, Lord God, as they've heard the word in our testimonies. They hear the word, Lord God, in our workplaces or uh, wherever we may be sharing that gospel. We pray, Lord God, that we just continue to deal with them, Lord God, that see that that is a living word, Lord God. It's a word that desires to change them, to transform them, Lord God, to renew them, Lord God, to bring them to that right place in you. And Father, we thank you for tonight. We just ask you to bless the, the teaching of your word. We, we thank you for it, Lord God. It gives us hope. It gives us strength. It gives us peace. It gives us victory, Lord God. So come and fill this place, Lord God. Just bless the hear. Lord God, give us ears to hear that what you would speak. And Lord God, I submit myself to you, Lord God. I just ask you to use me, Lord God. I make myself available, Lord God. Just ask you to speak, Lord God, through your servant tonight. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen and amen. We're continuing our study uh, in the uh, general epistle of Jude. So if you have your uh, Bible tonight, Jude is that little one chapter tucked in between third epistle of John and the, the book of the Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. And so turn to turn to Jude tonight. Uh, you guys that have been with us, this, I guess this is week number? I don't know. I don't know what's happened to Caprice. Four. Hallelujah. Y'all stretch your hand out and pray for Caprice. She used to be so on all of this. Amen. She must be going through this week. This is uh, week number four in, in our study in the, the general epistle of Jude. Uh, folks, what we've been looking at in this uh, in this epistle is some issues that he was dealing with in regards to the false teachers that had infiltrated uh, the church. And, and and really, not just talking about the, the, the false teachers. How many of you know that there's a lot of junk out there? Yeah. Right, we know that. Turn on the television, turn on the radio. This Whatever medium you can go on the internet with the, the advent of the internet and the, the proliferation of information, there's so much of that stuff out there. You know, you can walk down the street, you're going to trip over that stuff. But it wasn't just the, the, the revealing those false teachers, but the apostle gave a charge for them to earnestly contend for the faith. And so there's a difference between just recognizing and recognizing all the problems, but you've got to go beyond that. You've got to contend for the faith. Now, he didn't say be contentious for the faith. He said contend for the faith. In other words, I'm standing up for the truth. So, folks, the only way you can stand up for the truth is to know the difference between truth and error. And so you have to get yourself conditioned. We was talking about being conditioned for the condition this morning. And so what you've got to do is you've got to take that word and you've got to get into the word and let the word of God get into you. That way, when you hear error, it is immediately there's like a radar that goes to them. You say, listen, I, I know that can't be true. Why? Because, man, I've been in the word. I've been searching the scriptures daily like the Bereans to see if those things be so. And so he says, not only do I want you to recognize the false teachers, but you've got to stand against that stuff and contend for the faith. Why is it so important? Well, it's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're saved by grace, right? Through faith. And so, folks, if we unplug either one of those components, what happened? We undo the means by which men are saved. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God, right? And so it's a free gift that God gives us. And so it's not just through divine influence, grace, but it's also through faith. Faith comes where? 
By hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so if I can take that, that, that receptive element of faith, what have I done? I've eliminated the response that grace desires to generate. And so if somebody comes under conviction, I've told you this before, we call grace by all kinds of things. We, 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 we call it the anointing. That's what it is. It's a divine influence. We call it conviction. That's a divine influence. Uh, we, 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 we call it uh, uh, our conscience. God's always dealing with us through that mechanism of grace, God's divine influence. And so, but if we don't have the truth to know how to respond to that, what do we do? Well, we respond in the flesh. Because without faith that comes from hearing, hearing by the word of God, it's impossible to please him. He's not looking for us to be on a journey. He's not looking for our good intentions. He's not looking for any of those things. He's looking for us to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I told you before, if we have grace without faith, what do we do? Well, the American Indians carved totem poles and other people worship sun gods. They did all these things to try to fill that void that grace was drawing them to. And so we've got to contend for the faith. Why? Because when we're not around, when we're not around those people we witness to, when we're not around that brother-in-law that's away from the Lord, we're not around that cousin that has, has, has gone off into the, the, the way of degradation, we're not around that, 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 that spouse or whoever it may be in our life, that co-worker, when we're not around them, grace is still dealing with them. And so we can't be there and they're looking in our face and say, man, I really feel something, what do I need to do? And so what do we do? We take that word of faith, we take faith, and we're constantly putting it into their life. Why? Because it's a living word. And so it may not get a response from them today, but just like we stand under a 15-foot cross on, on Bourbon Street, I'm not expecting 50,000 people to get saved that night. I'm really not. That'd be kind of cool. It'd be neat if, if revival broke loose and we could write neat books and, and sell little coasters with the Bourbon Street revival on them and, and have neat T-shirts and, and, and do all these things and then put that lightning in the bottle and tell people what we did one day and just live off of that. We're not going to do that, though. But you know what I know that keeps going on? It's that word that's preached. When we're kicking out 100 decibels in two directions, past Rick's uh, Cabaret and past Razoo's and World Famous Love Acts and, and, and Club 544, when that word's going forth, somebody may turn their nose up and scoff, but it's a living word. They cannot get away. You remember what the world says? You can run, but you can't hide. But folks, the word says, if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to them that perish. And so we, as we contend for the faith, we don't hide that word. We get that word out there and we shout it from the housetops because they may scoff and they may reject it now, but something's going to happen one day when they lay their head down on the pillow and all their friends, they're encouraging them to blaspheme. All their friends are encouraging them to drink and do this. When they're not around patting them on the back anymore and they feel as miserable, when they're hard and their life is as empty as the bottom of that 15-inch that, that, that hand grenade or the, the bottom of that beer can or that blunt burns up or whatever they are that they're participating in, they're going to be looking for answers. And so grace is affecting them. And because we've been obedient to contend for the faith, they know what to do with that. And they say, I remember that preacher, I remember that co-worker, I remember that friend that told me that all I've got to do is repent. I've got to turn away from my sins and believe what Jesus Christ did upon the cross of Calvary was enough. I've got to turn away from them dead works and I'll be changed and I'll be transformed. So that's why it's so important that we contend for the faith. And so we've got to do it boldly today to, to, to really uh, counter that, 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 that promulgation, that dissemination of, 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 of false teaching. We've got to counter it with, with something that exceeds it, and that's our preaching of the gospel. So some of the issues that addressed by the apostle uh, Paul, strangely enough, if I can could, I could say that, are the same issues and the same error that are much alive today in the church. How many of you know that, that Satan is not very creative? We know that in our own life. What does he do? He keeps hitting you with the same stuff. 
He may dress it up in something different. He may put a different hat on it or a different skirt on it or, or, or a different dollar sign in front of it or whatever else, but he's always using the same things. And so what does he do? He recycles the same error over and over and over again. Folks, I remember as a young man some of the things that I, I, I saw him trying to do in the early 70s. Then 25 or 30 years later, I hear people talking about this new thing. I'm like, listen, no thing new about it. It's you hearing about it. It's the same old error, it's the same old lie, it's the same old deception, it's the same old distortion of the truth, but it's already been dealt with. And so I don't need to go back and redeal with it again, I'll just tell you what he's already said. And so it's nothing creative about this adversary, he just keeps recycling those things. And so it's, it's active in the body of Christ, it's trying to draw the body of Christ away from the true gospel and into things that cater to the flesh. That's the most powerful false doctrine, ones that caters to the flesh, but does very little to transform the spirit man and reveal the message of the cross. What we saw is in verse 4 of chapter 1, obviously, uh, as we brought this out in the early parts of our, our study. And here's what he said in verse 4. He said, these ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. I love the way this translation puts it. They wormed their way in, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Now, if you don't think that's alive and well, come where I come. Go preach where I preach. Talk to the people that we preach to, and you're going to find. Every person you meet, they're on a journey. They're sincere. They're saved, but they're just not saved from anything. They're born again, but they're never transformed. They love God, but they walk contrary to God's word. They're like vipers. They're, 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 they're snakes. The word says that they, they claim to have a, a, a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They claim a, to, to walk in, in, in the light, but they're still living in the darkness. That's what he says about them. But you'll find those people that they think the grace of God gives them a license to live this immoral life. And they'll say, well, I'm under grace. Well, you're not under grace. You're not under influence. The only thing you're under the influence of is, is malt liquor or, 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 or drugs or alcohol or perversion or whatever else. So they're not under the influence of grace or the power of God. Why? Because I know what that looks like. Do you hear me? I know what that looks like because I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, the hat, the coasters, the, the placemats and everything else, and I live there. But I also know what it is to be under the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I came out of that place that grace was a license for sin. I got saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, born again 30 plus years ago, and I know what it is to have victory, and I know what it is to be deceived. The problem with an unbelieving, deceived world that claims to know the church is they don't know like I know. Because I've been where they've been, but they've been where I've been. Because once you've been there, once you've tasted of, that, of that, 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 that heavenly fruit, once you've been a partaker of those things, there's nothing else that satisfies. And so in order to go back, you've got to become that dog that goes back to its vomit. You've got to once again become that sow having been washed the wall of the mouth. You can't go as a believer and that be okay. Why? Because those that are born of God, we learned this in 1 John, cannot continue to go on sinning. Why? Because his seed remains inside of him. So there's something inside of me that it's unnatural for me to walk in unrighteousness. Amen. Do you hear that? Because if any man is in Christ, he's brand new. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. It's unnatural for me to lie. It's unnatural for me to be unforgiving. It's unnatural for me to curse. It's unnatural for me to get drunk. It's unnatural for me to be in, in sexual rights immorality. It's unnatural. What comes natural because I am the, the temple of the Holy Spirit is to obey God. I can't help but do right. Why? Because I've got help. Do you hear me? I've got a helper and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world that's represented by sin and, and all these other characteristics of, this, of this, this lifestyle that the world has embraced that have infiltrated the church with. 
So she says these these uh, these these ungodly people have wormed their way into the church, saying that we can live that grace allows us to live immoral lives. And it says the condemnation of such people was reported long ago, for they denied our only Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, think about this for a second. What he said within the context of Jude one four, he basically said to deny the very nature of grace is to divine is to deny who Jesus Christ is. Amen. You hear me? So if I deny the power of grace to keep me from sin. I've denied who Jesus is. Why? Because it is the character that emanates from his presence. It's his influence. Now, folks, we know that bad company does what? So what's your good company do? It should build you up, create good morals. And so if I'm in the company of Jesus. What should I act like? I should act like Jesus. I had a guy come by the cross last night, I guess it was. He come by and uh, he hit all kinds of repulsive things. He said, I, I got something I want to tell you. I said, I'm not interested in it. And he kind of looked at me and said, well, what, I, what are you out here for? I said, I'm not, into, I'm not out here for that. And he said something else. He said, but I want to tell you something. I said, listen, there is not a single solitary thing that you're going to say to me tonight that's going to have any influence upon me, that's going to be anything, any redeemable characteristics in it. There's nothing that you can say that I want to hear because I've already got, got my feel of your daddy. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I said, I know your daddy. I know your father. I know how he acts. I know how he talks. And you know what? One glance at you, I knew exactly who you belonged to. And he was puzzled. And I said, he's described and you're described in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. It says, we know the difference between the child of God, which would be me, and the child of devil, which would be you. Because those that don't walk in righteousness, those that don't know their brethren, those people are called a child of the devil. And I said, I'm not interested in hearing the rants and raids of the spawn of Satan tonight. I'm out here to preach the good news of salvation. And if your heart is hardened, if your mind is vexed, if you have no desire to get saved and repent of that stuff, I said, you know what? There's 50,000 other opportunities out here, and I'm not going to let you stand in the way of us. Well, evidently, I didn't read Carnegie's How to Make Friends and Influence People. And you know what? Because I don't want to. James 4.4 4 tells me when I'm the friend of the world, I become the enemy of God. I'm not looking to buddy up and rub shoulders with a lost and dying world. I'm not willing, amen, to allow their bad company to corrupt my good morals. I know why I stand in a place like that. It's not to kumbaya and make people feel good about their sin. It's to contend for the faith. And so if I if I adopt, if I have any other definition, if I have a characteristics of grace that do not reflect the biblical thing, what have I done? I've denied Jesus Christ himself. And so folks, one of the most, I've talked about this, and if you if you listen to this guy, stop it. Okay? I mentioned him by name, and I mentioned him again, because this guy is one of the most dangerous people that I've seen in nearly 30 years of preaching the gospel. It's a cat by the name of Joseph Prince. Smooth-talking guy from Singapore. It's got all this rosy, sweet stuff. You study that stuff out like I've studied that stuff out, you're going to see this is exactly who he was addressing right here. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a false gospel. It's a greasy grace. I hate to even call it grace because it's not. It gives men a license to sin. It opens the door. Because I tell you what, the people that consider themselves evangelical that I meet on the streets that are living like the devil and sexual immorality, you know who ever one of them tell me that they read and they follow? Joseph Prince. Now, if you meet somebody, listen to me, if you meet somebody and they're womanizing, they're acting like the devil, and they tell you they go to cross life, they are lying to you if they think it's okay. Period. It don't take long. Just www.whateveryouwantolookat.com, plug my name in, go to YouTube, you're going to know exactly what I believe in. 
And it doesn't condone sin. It doesn't say that that, 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 that lasciviousness is okay. It doesn't do that. There's, there, I'm an open book on that stuff. You want to check me out? Check me out. You want to call me out? Call me out. I'm easy to get a hold of. 504-905-4113. My brother got lost. He dialed my cell phone number. Amen? That's my number. But when you see people like that, that this false grace and this false teaching, it's a lie straight from the pits of hell. And they're that 1 John 3.10 as well. And so he, they preach this stuff and it says it's not necessary. This is Prince speaking. It's not necessary to confess your sins. And he, and he says that Paul's epistles never give an example of a believer confessing sin. Folks, I've taught 197 hours extensively in the book of Romans. Go to line. You'll find it. And I could do 197 more and never repeat the same stuff. If somebody thinks that Paul the Apostle said don't confess and repent of sin, has never read the Bible. He also says this. He believes once saved, always saved. He says pray a prayer, say those things, and you're fine and okay. Folks, I could sit here and refute that till the cows come home. You know why? Because I used to believe that. You know why I believed it? I had to because of my lifestyle. I had to believe that. I had to justify my lifestyle and say I, I prayed a little prayer in summer camp one time, and, and now I can live like the devil and do all these type of things, But I, uh, and, and I'm just fine, and God's going to look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so my false doctrine is going to make a liar out of God. He said, I'm the Lord God, and I, and I change not. I lie not. I'm not a man that I should lie or the son of a man that I should repent. Amen. He also teaches that, that, that God can't get angry or punish Christians. I had a guy walk up to me last night and said, he says, God doesn't hate. And I said, really? He said, God doesn't hate anyone. I said, well, just let me give you just a second if you got it. And I said, I'm going to show you Psalm 5.5 is one, which says he's angry with a sinner every day. And I said, let me, let me flip right here and show you what the Bible says. He says, uh, there's six things that the Lord hates and seven are an abomination. A proud look, a lying tongue, heads that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that swift to uh, running to mischief, a false witness, and that speak his lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. I said, you said he didn't hate anything. He said he did. He gave you a list of them right there. And the guy kind of shrugged his shoulders at me and turned around and walked off. Why? Because I contended for the faith. He walked into a thing, but unfortunately, folks, you know what most people would say? Well, you're right. God loves unconditionally. No, God loves conditionally upon repentance. Right. And folks, you'll never love like God loves until you love what God loves. He loves truth. He loves holiness. He's trying to bring us back to that place that he loves. God is not just given this, this blanket approval of all these type of things that is taught by false teachers like that. He also says that God is not judging any nation or is not going to have any nation because of what the cross did. Really? Well, you need to flip open to Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse. And he that set up what was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. The armies that were in heaven followed him upon white horses. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and he was there to tread out the, the wrath of the fierceness of the, all God, oh God, the Lord God Almighty. So if he doesn't do that, why is he going to do that? But he teaches that. He also teaches a, a, this whole false concept. Of grace. I'm going to give you something he, he, he said. I'm going to move on from what we talked about. He said, I told a minister friend of mine that I actually do not agree that grace should be a topic in any Bible school curriculum. This is Prince talking. He said, grace is not a topic. He said, grace is the gospel. Oh, okay. This is sounding pretty good. He said, grace is not theology. Well, if grace is the gospel and grace is not theology, it is not the study of God. You see where he runs around? 
He said it's not a subject matter. It's not a doctrine. Really. He said it's a person and his name is Jesus. Now, that, that makes a good bumper sticker, but that don't make good Bible. He said it's not a doctrine. Well, what is doctrine? Doctrine is the teaching of truth in the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And he also says that he is the word made flesh. And so if Jesus was the word made flesh and grace is Jesus, then grace under his own definition would be the word, which would be Jesus. And so you see how convoluted that type of thing is. And it only meets the carnal natural man. And so it says, listen, I don't, need, I don't need theology. I don't need all that other stuff. All I need is Jesus. Folks, you can't separate the two. Amen? Amen. You cannot separate the truth from the truth. You hear what I'm saying? You can't have one without the other. And the second thing that he's talked about in this, and we saw it in verse 5 and 6, and I just touched on it. And I'll, let me read that real quick. He said, so I want to remind you, this is the whole once saved, always uh, saved stuff. And he said, I want to remind you, look at you to dress as this. He said, I want to remind you, he said, though you already know these things. So he was talking to an audience that should have known these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. What was Egypt? A type of the world, right? Red Sea was a type of baptism. We see that used throughout the scripture. He said, but later... He destroyed those who did not remain faithful. Amen. Did not remain full of faith. Why? Because without faith, or without faithfulness, it's impossible to please him. And so what did he do to them? He destroyed them. So much for what's saved, always saved. And he said, I remind you of even the angels who did not stay within the limits of God's authority. He gave them up and left the place where they belong. But God has kept them securely chained in prison of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. So, folks, listen, we can't just have some blanket thing. He's, all, he's also saying these false teachers, they're coming in with a false grace. They're coming in and says, listen, once you've once you signed the contract, you've backed God into the proverbial corner, and you can do whatever you want to, and you got him on the technicality. As long as you prayed a prayer and got dumped in a tank, and one day you're going to stand before God, and you're going to thumb your nose at him and say, listen, <laughs> you want to send me to, to judgment, don't you? But you can't do it. Why? Because I prayed the magic Alakazam prayer about 30 years ago, and, and I got locked in. Folks, do you see the arrogance in that type of thing? What about the, it's the race is not to the swift, but to the strong, but the one that endureth to the very end. If I abide in him and his word abides in me, that's where the confidence that I have. That's the once saved, always saved message is once faithful, always stay faithful until the very end. Allow grace to have its perfect work in your life that's going to change and transform and, and, and cause you to stand before God unashamed. The second thing that he addressed, and you've seen it in the church as well, especially in our area being such a, a Catholic influence, you see how the Catholicism has influenced things. And he said, and don't forget, verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of, of, of sexual perversion, including homosexuality. He said, these cities were destroyed by fire and served as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. I had a young lady, once again, walk up to me and she said, listen, uh, man, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And she's standing there with a drink in her hand and her, her pupils dilated the size of dimes and, and, and whatever that was on her, on her breath, just, just reeking of alcohol in my face. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. I, I just don't know if this is the right place for it. And I said, really? I said, he came to call not the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You know what he said? And I said, uh, those that are well don't have any need of a physician, but those that are sick. And she said, well, you know what? My dad was a, was a Methodist preacher, and he died when I was 10 years old. And she said, but I later converted to Catholicism uh, 
uh, after my teenage years because I was marrying a young man that was Catholic. And she said, you know what? So do you think there's something wrong with that? I, said, I looked at her. I said, well, there's a couple problems here, which, you know, you're proof positive. She told me about her promiscuous lifestyle and all these things happening. I said, I've never seen another religious order, religious denomination, that their leadership had a higher percentage of alcoholism than your church, is what I told her. I said, it's rampant within the Catholic Church, the, the alcoholism. I said, so the Word of God tells us that, that uh, uh, don't be deceived, that, that those who practice unrighteousness, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And one of those is drunkenness. And I said, so what you've done is you followed suit. You're drunken tonight because what? You have a priest who's drunk. And she said, well, listen. She said, he has this thing that's called a, a sip and study or some ridiculous something like that. And she said, because I'm from, I'm from uh, where's Mississippi State at? Hattiesburg or something like that. Mississippi State, Hattiesburg. She said, I'm there. It's a college town. She said, what he does is this bar he goes to on Thursday nights, and he invites the college students there, and they, they talk about the Bible over their favorite lager or their favorite Schlitz malt liquor or whatever it might be that they're drinking that day. And I said, listen, and it produces people just like you, I said. And I said, people that are lukewarm, that Revelation 3.15 says, you're lukewarm and I'll have no choice but to vomit you from my mouth. These people that, that, are, that, are, that, that are wicked and perverse in their hearts, they've got filthy hearts and filthy mouths. I said, that's what it produces. And I told her, I said, what you win them with is what you win them to. And so if I'm winning them with a, my favorite drink or my favorite alcoholic beverage and I want them to imbibe on those things, what I've won them into is a false gospel. I said, also, I said, can you think of another faith, another denomination, another religious order that, had, that from their leadership that the higher percentage of, of pedophiles, sexually immoral leaders, I said, yeah, they're in every rank. I said, but think about the thousands upon thousands of cases that are there. What happened? Sexual immorality, homosexuality in the churches. Jude addressed that. Once Constantine made the, 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 the national religion, Catholicism, in, in, in the 300s, what happened? It invited that same stuff from the world into it, and we still see it today. Look at what even in Protestant denominations, uh, pastors leaving their wives and wives leaving their pastors' husbands. And, uh, uh, six months later, you'll see them on TBN sitting there with the late Paul Crouch and, and Jan Crouch, and they're interviewing them. They'll say, you know what? God really moved. And now I'm in this adulterous marriage, but God's blessing. God sent me somebody to fill that void. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell, folks. I'm just here to tell you that. That is a lie straight from the pits of hell. And last week, we dealt with the issue of the false application of spiritual warfare being promoted and practiced. And I'm not going to go into that. If you want the CDs on any of these, you can get those from the people in the sound booth. So tonight, bring me up to speed if you haven't been here and kind of touch on that if you have. I want us to look at the heart behind all those errors. Because all those errors are here, and we all see them, don't we? So what is the cause? What is the root cause of those things, and how have they entered into the church? I'm glad you asked that, because we're going to look at some examples that he gave us that describe the condition of those that are involved in practicing these things. It's in Jude, uh, verses 10 and 11 tonight. I'll start with verse 10. Um, he says this, but these people, all those people we stopped, talked about, the false grace teachers, the false... The once saved, always saved teachers, the sexually immoral folks, all those that have involved themselves in, in all the things, the false spiritual warfare teachings, and all these people. He said they scoff at things that they do not understand. He said they're like unthinking animals. They do whatever their instincts tell them to do. What's your instincts? It's your old carnal nature. It's the old man. It's that, that old man. It's kind of, if it feels good, you do it. That's what instincts are. He said they do whatever their instincts tell them. And he said so they bring about their own Destruction. And so Paul the Apostle also talked about that first career. This, this Paul the Apostle that didn't talk about sin and didn't talk about repentance according to the false teacher. First Corinthians 3, 
1 through 4, here's what he said. He said the same thing that Jude said. He said, dear brothers and sisters, he said, when I was with you, he said, I couldn't talk to you as I would to a spiritual person. Now, what about the apostles showing up at your church? He said, listen, brother, I want to tell you, when I was here before, I couldn't even talk to you like I talked to a Christian person. You wouldn't even got it. So he just laid it on the line. So much for easing in, so much for delicate. He said, listen, I couldn't talk to you. He said, I had to talk to you uh, like you belonged to this world or, or at least at the very best like you were infants in the Christian life because you just wouldn't get it. He said, you haven't even been conditioned to hear the truth. You've, you've been so used to this mealy mouth, pastel pink, wide gate gospel. He said, I, I, could, I couldn't even come to you and just tell you the truth. He said, because it go right over your pointed little head. I couldn't even tell you that. He said, at the very most, he said, it's like talking to a little baby who just doesn't get it. That I've just got to pacify you just for a moment. Then he goes on to say, he said, I had to feed you milk, not solid food. He said, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And he said, you still aren't even ready. Now, we're talking about the Corinthian church. We're talking about the church that he said in that first chapter. He said, hey, listen, guys. He said, in regards to the gifts, as far as, uh, as, far as to the hooping and hollering, the shamas and the iki mohas, all that stuff, he said, you, he said, you fall behind nobody. He said, you are the guys that can do all the stuff. He said, you've got the signs. You've got the wonders. You've got that stuff. But then he goes and tells them, he said, listen, but when I come to talk to you about spiritual things and I come to talk to you about the word, he said, you didn't even understand those things. Folks, that's why the word says that you know a tree, not by its gifts, but you know a tree by its fruit. Because many people will come to me in that day and say, man, listen, we were like the Corinthian church. We cast out devils. We, 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 we prophesied. We did miracles. And what did he tell them? Depart. I don't even know. I don't know who you are. You might have used my name, but I don't know who you are. You, you might have did something that, 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 that sold some tickets or filled up a, 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 a stadium, but I don't know who you are. And he said, in verse 3, he said, and you are still controlled by your sinful nature. What governs you, what drives you is your sinful nature. He said, you're jealous of one another. He said, you quarrel with each other. He said, doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living just like the people of the world? I told, like I told the, the guy that was a child of the devil, I said, you know, you live like the devil, you act like the devil, you talk like the devil, you're a devil. Because if I'm a believer, I need to live like a believer. I need to talk like a believer. I need to conduct myself like a believer. I need to love like a believer. I need to seek out the truth like a believer. Why? Because that's what makes me a believer. It's my nature has changed. And he says finally in verse 4, he said, which one of you says that I'm a follower of Paul? And another says, I'm a, I'm a Paulist. He said, can't you see you're just acting like the world? You want to blame it on somebody else? Well, I'm just doing what I saw Ronnie Luminate do. Well, I'm just doing what I saw uh, uh, Roy Harris Mendez do. I'm a follower of him. So if he did it, blame him. It's basically what they were saying. I'm a follower of this one. I'm a follower. Well, folks, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to follow me, follow me as I follow him. I ain't afraid to say that. Follow me as I follow Jesus. If I stop following Jesus, stop following me, please. And grab me by the scruff of the neck and jerk me backwards and say, boy, you're out of line. Get back in line with Jesus. And folks, if you can't say to somebody, follow me or imitate me like I'm imitating Jesus, you've got to ask yourself who you're following. The old song that came out a number of years ago, the, the, the young pop artist, she said, don't look at me if you're looking for perfection. Don't look at me. I'll always let you down. Good night. Just get saved, little girl. 
He said, because he's perfected forever those that are sanctified through one offering, the cross of Calvary. And he said in John 17, 17, he said, Father, he said, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. And if we're looking at people and say, well, don't keep your eyes on me, I'm going to fail. Well, why are you going to do that? There's no temptation that's come upon me, but that which is common to all men. God will never allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear with every single temptation. He'll provide a way of escape. Wouldn't that be something good to follow? Be obedient, not just as these little children tossed to and fro by every wind. The doctrine, follow me as I'm following Jesus. Let's get busy. Go preach the gospel to the lost like, like I'm preaching the gospel to the lost. Go pray like I'm praying. Go study the word like I'm studying. Go have a good marriage like I have a good marriage. Love your wife like I love the church. Teach your kids like I teach my kids. Do those things. Set that kind of example for people to follow. Don't act like people of the world. Here's the thing he was saying. Since false teaching is typically built around the appeal towards self-gratification or self-preservation. That's where it comes from. What does it do for me? The self-help gospel. You hear it on television. You hear it in the, the, you see it in the books. What does it say? God has a wonderful plan for your life. You know what I think about that? God has a wonderful plan for your death is what he has for you. That's why beautiful in the eyes of the, the Lord of the death of his saints. Death now, what? Death now to the flesh, death now to the old nature, and I'm going to have life. Why? So we talked about this morning. Whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for his sake is going to find it. That's what it is. I've got to die to Troy Barn. I don't need to preserve me. I've got to be like John the Baptist and decrease that he might increase. And so it's about self-gratification, uh, self-preservation. It's the false grace. It's that not, not hyper-grace. You hear that used? Because it's not hyper-influence. I, I, I want to be hyper influenced. I want to be super influenced by grace. So it's not hyper grace, it's false grace. It's, it's the unconditional eternal security that the self preservation says I can do what I want to. It's the sexual immorality that says, listen, I can gratify myself like the Gnostics did and said, it's really not me sinning anyway, it's just my flesh. And finally, what we talked about, that false authority that, listen, I'm going to go command these devils, I'm going to do all these types of things. No, you're not. Well, number one, you don't need to if you're saved because he's already done that. He made an open show of them. He triumphed over them in the cross of Calvary. So why am I going to go pick a fight with somebody that's already been whooped? You know what I'm saying? Why would I go fight that? But Paul prefaced that in the passage just above it in 1 Corinthians 2.14. And he said, but the natural man, that carnal, that worldly man, does not or cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they seem foolish to him. You hear me? They seem foolish to him. He said, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So if you talk to a carnal Christian, you talk to somebody that, that's still worldly, and you say, listen, man, God wants you to be holy. Well, you're going to say, listen, but you got to understand, you're going to sin every day. No, you're not going to sin every day. You can sin every day if you choose to, but you don't have to. I can choose every day. Why? Because temptation is not sin, but with every temptation, you'll provide a way of escape. The question is, am I going to take that way of escape? You hear me? Why? Because sin is conceived in the mind. When I begin to ponder those things, then it's then it brings forth death. But if I cut that thing off, and I say, uh-uh, I'm going to change the way I think. I'm not going to be conformed to the image of this world, the worldliness, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so I can prove out what is the good and the acceptable and perfect will of God. That way when he says, be holy in all manner of conversation, I'm going to be holy in all manner of conversation. When he says, be perfect, even as I am perfect, I'm going to hide myself in him. I'm going to be crucified with him, and I'm going to walk under the perfection of the declaration of the cross of Calvary. Not me just doing everything, crossing the T's and dotting the I's, but by me trusting him to, to, to everything that I commit to him, he's able to keep. Amen. See, that's what faith looks like. That doesn't say I'm okay. It says that I'm not okay, 
But man, I'm with somebody that is. And he's my strength. And I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me the strength to overcome. He says, those things are foolishness to him. So you tell somebody that, say, well, that's just crazy. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's just unbelievable. Yes, it is. From your perspective. Why? Because you're lost. And you're unregenerate, just like I was. And so I couldn't come to him with my mind. I had to come with him to my heart. I had to come and say, God, I don't understand all this. But I know what I do understand. What I'm doing don't work. Whether it's religious or whether it's not, it ain't working. God, I, I can't pacify my flesh. I can't keep it just under control. I need a transformation. I don't need something to, different to do. I need to be somebody different. And Christ, if you can come into my life and make me different, I will. And so they did these things. It goes on to say, it says they, uh, what that's going to happen to them, they're going to bring about their own destruction. Folks, you know, we see it all the time. We see these word pictures uh, many times on the streets when people bring about their own destruction. We get people we minister under the cross out there, and they'll come, like, get in our face or something. You know what I do? I just haul off and knock them out. <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't have to do that. What do I do? I warn them. I warn people like that all the time. I say, listen, I'm not going to do a thing in the world to you for two reasons. Number one, you're not going to do anything to me. And they'll look at me, and I'll say, you're, you're really not. I said, people are going to punch you. Don't tell you they're going to punch you. They just punch you. Listen, I used to get punched as a lost person, and nobody walked up to me and said, Hey, brace yourself, I'm about to punch you in the mouth. They didn't do this, punched you in the mouth. So anybody's going to telegraph that, okay, I'm going to punch you. Okay, let me know when you do it, because I'm going to duck. You're not going to do that. They're going to hit you in the face. Number one, they're not going to do that. Number two, and I said, the reason, second reason you're not going to do that is because if you do that, some backslider in the crowd who's not serving Jesus, he may not like what I'm saying, but he don't like you coming against what I'm saying. And he's going to come out of the crowd. He's going to hurt you. Why do I say that? Because it happens all the time. And I tell him, listen, stand here long enough. Somebody's going to come here that's not going to be too pleased with the way you're treating me. And I says, I'm warning you. At least tone it down a little bit. Because somebody is going to beat you up. And it happens all the time. They bring about their own destruction. Live by the sword. You're going to die by the sword. Galatians 6, 7. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows. He's also going to reap. Whatever you dish out, with whatever measure you measure out, it's going to be measured back unto you. So if you want to come at it like that, it's going to come into you. You're going to have your own destruction. John 3, 19 through 20. He said, this is the judgment. This is your own destruction. And it's based upon this fact. God is light. God is truth. And he came into the world. But people love darkness more than the light, the truth, because their deeds were evil. And all who do evil, they hate the light. Why is that? Because they're afraid that their sins are going to be exposed. So you flip open that word and say, well, here's what God said. Oh, listen, close that. I want to know what you think. You don't know what I think because I don't think anything. I don't have anything redeemable apart what God's planted in my heart and in my mind. So let's get into God's word and let God's word to get into us to change and transform. I'm not here to, to offer you an opinion. I'm not here to, to be Dr. Phil of the streets. I'm not here to be Dr. Phil of the church. I'm here to take you to Dr. Jesus, the great physician. So if you want to hear what he's say, but they don't want to hear that. Why? Because they can argue with me. They can argue with you. But at the end of the day, they can act like they're arguing, but that word is so much higher than us. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our yeah. thoughts. And even though they can argue with it, it's going to wear on them because it doesn't just dissipate to the ground. They stop, it says, at things they don't understand. They ridicule the attempt to turn the tables on you. Have you ever noticed that? Friends, family, they want to turn the tables on you. Well, what about such and such? What about this? What about that? They want to turn the tables. Here's, here's something I was thinking about. 
Do you, do you remember at one time those who lived one way but said they believed another way were called Pharisees? You know what Jesus said? So they lived one way in reality, but they talked about something in another way. He called them Pharisees. So somebody that talked the talk but didn't walk the walk were called Pharisees. But today, those that live one way and say they believe another are called under grace. You know what I'm saying? Now they're not called Pharisees, they're called under grace. But those that believe in walking in holiness and actually live what they walk are now called Pharisees. Who flipped the script on that? Jesus said, if you talk the talk but don't walk the walk, you're a Pharisee. Now they say, if you walk the walk and talk the talk, you're a Pharisee. Well, who gets to write these definitions? I got news for you. Jesus does. Isaiah 15, 20 says, What of those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Now, think about this. Now, if you believe to come out from among them and be separate, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, you're called religious. But Paul called you righteous. Come out from among them, be separate, don't even touch the unclean thing. He said you're righteous. Now they call you religious. Well, you've got to make relationships. You've got to be friends. Well, the word says different. Now, if you believe in hiding the word in your heart so that you don't sin against him, Psalm 119.11, they call you legalistic. But the Bible calls you a man after God's own heart. Yeah. You notice that? So if I'm, if I'm quoting the scripture, if I'm using the word of God, you're just being legalistic. No, God says you're being righteous. You're being holy. So they can't understand victory, folks, because they don't understand the victor whose name is Jesus. And so you see how all that stuff's been turned around by these false teachers. And he says in verse 11, he says, what sorrow awaits them, he says, for they follow in the footsteps of Cain. This is verse 11 of a text, Jude. He said, who killed his brother like Balaam, they received, uh, deceived people for money, and like Korah, they perished in their rebellion. Now look at these characteristics, these three characteristics he gave us to describe what that the, the heart behind that is. He said, well, number one, they're like Cain. They're like Cain. Now you know Cain, Cain and Abel. Now think about what Cain was. He wanted religion on his own terms. He wanted a God that looked like he wanted it to look. And so when the person comes up to me on the street and says, listen, here's what I think. I, I, I just believe this. And I said, well, actually, everything that you're saying, you want a God that looks like you, that gets drunk like you, that sleeps around like you, that laughs at the same filth that you laugh at. That's what you want. And I said, that's not a new concept. They had it in the wilderness, too. It says, when the people saw that Moses was delayed in coming down from the mountain, they went to Aaron. They said, make us a God that we can follow. Because we can't follow that one. That mountain's too high. Those laws are too stringent. That, that The demands of holiness are too great. Make us one that we can follow. It says they began to take their own earrings off and their bracelets off of their, their children. They began to, to take their fears. They began to take their oppression. They began to take their lust. They began to take their greed. They began to take their impatience. They said, okay, here's all this stuff that's in our flesh. Make us a God out of those components. And we can follow him. Is it any different now? Well, here's my daily planner. Here's my schedule. Here's the saint's schedule. Because you know I can't serve you if it's in between games. Or Here's whatever it happens to be. Here's what I'm going to give you. Here's my, here, here's my sin. Here's my compromise. I want you to build a God that looks like that. So they wanted religion like Cain on their own terms who killed his brother because God wasn't willing to receive his sacrifice. Just because he thought his sacrifice was okay. He thought God didn't think it's okay. Folks, no. What is that? That's vain oblations. Drawing nigh to him with your mouth, but your heart being far 
from him. It's like the strange fire that was offered up by the sons of Aaron. We want to offer something. Yeah, it looks like fire. It kind of burns like fire. It must be fire. No, it's a strange fire. It brought condemnation upon them. And so what they do is they want to they 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 they, they want to stand in opposition uh, to what you believe because what they say they believe is rooted in their flesh. And so it's ruled by jealousy, just like Cain, but it's fueled by compromise. So it's like, listen, I'm jealous of the relationship that you have. So what I've got to say is that relationship you have is not legitimate. Because if it was legitimate, I would have it. Because don't you know I deserve to have what you have? And folks, God's no respecter of persons. What one person has another, if you're just willing to pay the price. But fueled by compromise. Also, like Balaam, it says, and he thought that his refusal, you know the story of Balaam, right? That, that he was told to prophesy over the people. But, but Balaam, you know, he refused to say something contrary to what God said. Now, if he had stopped there, it would be a good story. But he didn't stop there. And so he started to plot, and he tried to figure out, okay, I can't say something that God didn't say, but what can I do to subvert God's will and get the people to crash and burn? So he went to Balak, and he said, listen, here's what you can do. You can put all these temptations in front of them. You can put all the, the prostitutes and all this stuff and get them into immorality. That way God's going to reject them anyway. That's what he did. He said, listen, I'm not going to say God said something, but I'm going to tell you what's going to set them up for failure. And so what does that do? It's this lack of self-will. It's a lack of integrity, and it brings about self-preservation. So that's what Balaam was. I want to preserve myself. I want to act like I'm not doing nothing. Well, well brother, listen, I, I don't want to say anything. Listen, I don't want to be contentious. Now, listen, I know I don't agree with what that guy over there is doing, but listen, I'm just going to pray for him. Really, what are you going to pray? Well, God told you to obey as well. Well, listen, I just don't want to do that. Listen, listen, listen. It's self-preservation. It's self-will. It's a lack of integrity. It, it, what it does, it, it fuels you without you ever really having to pay the price. That's what Balaam was. He's like, listen, I want to be disobedient, but I just want to do it in a way that don't look like disobedience. You've been like Korah. Seek to find those uh, that favor or share in your error and those that are going to benefit personally by a lower standard of that error. That's what Korah did. He raised up and he began to go around and talk to people and, and begin to give examples. He said, listen, Man, that Moses, he don't know everything. Who does he think he is? Man, look what we got going on. Man, he wouldn't be half the person he was without us. And so what did he do? He began to subvert that leadership and usurp authority. He began to, to go around and try to get people to rise up in rebellion against God. What does the word say? Rebellion is what? Like witchcraft. It's mind control. And so what you say, man, why haven't they given you a chance? Brother, listen, they're just jealous of you. They know if they ever gave you a chance, man, you'd far exceed that. Really? You heard that stuff, haven't you? Well, sis, listen, man, you're man, you're annoying. I don't know what they think about these, what these people over here doing, but you're the one, man. I, woo, man, I get chill bumps just talking to you. <laughs> now, all this stuff sounds good, doesn't it? That's that core of spirit. I'm gonna I'm gonna raise up rebellion with my flattering lips. And if you don't get your way, what do you do? You begin to tear down, just like Korah did. You try to tear down Moses. Folks, listen, I've been in the ministry a long time. Do you know how many times that's happened to me? Corax? I couldn't tell you. Period. I saw somebody told me, hey, Pastor, did you see something on Facebook the other day? I said, no. And so what it does, it attracts that same type of element. It's interesting. The same people that did the same thing. That's just like Cora. And if you're watching the video, I don't mind. You know my number two. But that's what it is, demonic, and you need to repent and to believe the gospel. But folks, it's that same thing. It's that 
uh, it's that, that that subverting type of deal that's striving on because self-emotion. you're immature, you're carnally minded, and I will not entertain that nonsense at the price of the body of Christ and pat you on your head and tell you that stuff is okay. I don't answer to you; I answer to Him. Period. Right? Come out from among that nonsense. Be separate. Take a stand for holiness and righteousness and keep standing. Jude 12 and 13, he said, when these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, they commemorate the Lord's love. He said, but they're like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They're like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They're like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They're like trees in the autumn that are doubly dead for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They're like wild waves. They're like the, the sea churning up a foam in their shameful deeds. They're like wandering stars doomed forever to the blackness of darkness. Now, I love that, that metaphorical language. I love all that. But what does all that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you just in about five minutes right here. He said, they'll sit and eat with you. In other words, they'll come to your church. First Sunday of the month, they'll take the communion stuff. They'll put the cracker on their tongue and they'll drink the juice. And they'll say hallelujah and amen, just like everybody else. But it's a false spirituality is what he says. He said, they'll say the things that need to be said when they need to say them. He said, but otherwise, he said, they're subversive. He said, there's a false unity. They'll join arms and say, kumbaya, and they'll present something that outwardly, man, it just it looks so good. Man, it looks like they're, they're right there with you. That's what he said. That's, that's the trap. Because they can present something. They'll eat at your feast. They'll welcome you to the table. They'll do all these things. And if you just stop right there and you don't look below the surface... Anything. Man, those folks are okay. Now look what he says. He advances it. He said they are like they are like dangerous reefs that can ship shipwreck you. Now, where's a reef at? Under the surface. Now you go to the water and you look and you see that beautiful pristine water. It's blue and man, it looks so inviting. But have you ever gotten near a reef? It will cut you like a razor blade. It will cut the hull of a ship wide open like a can opener. That's what he said. He said, they'll come and sit down with you. They'll tell you what you want to hear. He said, but you try to run into ground a little bit. He said, they'll slice you wide open. He said, they're like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. And so we, and you see that. It's like, okay, what are you here for? You're, you're here to hear me. Folks, you ain't here to hear me. I'm here to equip you to go out and change the world. That's why I exist. I don't, I don't sit here for you to make my life better or for you to give me the amens. I don't need that. I'm not looking for a billboard. I'm not looking for, 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 for somebody to affirm me, period. I get that when I talk to Jesus on a daily basis. That's where my affirmation is. But he said they're like a, they're like a shameless shepherds who care only for themselves, their only desires, their only, their only will. They, 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 they don't have it as, a, as, as, as a something that's inside of them. It's, it's, it's a vocational thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to do that. Why do I say that? Because I've known pastors say they go and interview for these churches. I just really want to be your pastor. God has called me to be here. And God has given me a heart for this city. And man, I just want to be here. Now, have you ever been in the churches? I have. Now, what if he showed up and said, well, God told you to come here? Amen. He told me to come here, brother. Man, you got a pastor for this place? Yes, I do. Praise God. Because we're going to invite you in. And man, we're going to make it. And you, you have faith in God? Yes. Oh, glory. You trust him, yes. Yeah. Oh, hallelujah. He meets all of my needs. Praise God. Well, we're going to get you real spiritual because we want you to come and be the pastor. Hallelujah. I knew it. That's confirmation. But what we're going to do is we're not even going to pay you a salary. Lord, did I hear you say something else? Or when the better offer comes, they're out the door. 
So what happened to being called and having a, a heart and having a passion? They're lying devils is what they are. They're subverting those things by telling you something that sounds real spiritual, but they're like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves looking for the next gig. He said they're like clouds without rain. They got a bunch of fluff. They got no substance. That's it. A lot of fluff, a lot of uh, a lot of cliche, but at the end of the day, they ain't got nothing really to say. They're like trees without fruit. In other words, times and seasons are going to reveal the deadness of them. That's what he said. They're like trees without fruit. Folks, listen, you can put anything up. You can go, you can go get you some rubber apples and hook them on a tree. That doesn't make it an apple tree. Wait that thing out, and you're going to see through the through the times and the season what that thing's producing over time. And so for you and for me. Look at somebody over time. Don't look at the flash in the pan. If you want to look back at, at, at where I've been in the ministry, you can look back. Take a look at it. Take a look all the way back when I entered full-time ministry in 1991. Go talk to those people. Ask them where I was then. Ask them where I am now. I ain't got no problem. You want the phone numbers, the email address? I'll give it to you. You want to meet them? Some of them are sitting here right here tonight. Ask them that question. Folks, you're going to know people over time. That's what it is. That's what he means. You're going to, it's like trees that without fruit. Over time, what did they really produce? He said they're like raging waves in the sea, foaming out of their own shit, uh, their own their own shame. Uh, it's like drowning people in this sea of error. They're going to churn up so much stuff that it's going to swallow you up and suck you in. It's going to be like that, that riptide. They're going to get you into that deep water and pull you into the deep blue. And he says they're like wandering stars. That means that they're going to be there. They're going to shine bright. But they're going to be so inconsistent that they're not going to provide any true direction to navigate off of. Now, folks, he said every bit of that stuff 2,000 years ago. I said it tonight, and it's still just as relevant. Is it not? It's relevant to me because I've seen it happen in all these years. It's relevant to you because you've seen it happen in all these years. You've experienced those things. You've been through those things. So what's the solution? It's the same solution it was then. Earnestly contend for the faith. Don't let the leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees, that unbelief, that talk in the talk, but not genuinely walk in the walk out, do not let it be found among you. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord God, that challenges, does, Lord God, it, it challenges us to obey. It challenges us to stay the course. It challenges us, Lord God, to dig deeper, to walk in righteousness and to walk in holiness, Lord God, to, to, to stand, Lord God, when, when everything else wants to draw us and seduce us in another direction, Lord God, but to stand. And Father, what I'm asking in the name of Jesus is you give us the eyes to see the spiritual discernment, Lord God, to hear your voice, to follow after you, to obey you. And I pray, Lord God, for your people here tonight, and those that are listening later. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God. This We need your discernment. We need it, Lord God, because we know the time is coming, Lord God. The men are not going to endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, you said that they're going to heap to themselves teachers having engineers, Lord God. They're going to be drawn away, Lord God, by seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, give us an insatiable thirst for your word and desire, Lord God, for truth. And Lord God, the, the, the fortitude to stand, Lord God, in the day of opposition. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys.